Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings. Let me pray before we begin. Oh Lord, we ask that you would teach us in your word how we might approach you. Teach us more about yourself. Teach us more about ourselves. We ask, Lord, that you would draw us in your word to yourself as we, we hear about praying today that we would not go away feeling dejected at our failures, at our apathy, but that you would help us, encourage us, help us to go away with excitement desiring to pray all the more. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been going through the story of Elijah. Last week, we, were, we heard about that great confrontation on Mount Carmel where Elijah was up against the 450 prophets of Baal, or rather, the Lord God was up against no one. And God showed that to be the case when he answered with fire from heaven. This whole situation was brought about, though, by God telling Elijah to go meet to Ahab and tell him he was going to send rain again. The question at Mount Carmel was, who is the real God. To put it another way, the question was, which God hears and answers prayer? And if you go back over the stories that we have covered in the life of Elijah, you'll notice from the stopping of the rain, from the widow at Zarephath and her son dying, and then coming to life again from Elijah coming to pray at Mount Carmel, and now in our new passage, you'll see that the topic of prayer has actually been the driving theme through every passage. God's response to prayer has been the high point of every story. Our God is a prayer-hearing God, but we might wonder if we are a praying people. This morning, we will find Elijah on his knees again. And I want us to focus especially on what the Holy Spirit has been teaching us about prayer so far in the life of Elijah. So I'm going to look back at a couple previous passages as well. My hope is that this morning we'll understand a little better how we ought to come to God in prayer. So I will, the main passage will be starting at 1 Kings 18 verse 41, but we'll also look back at two other prayers of Elijah. Let me read, um, starting in chapter 17, verses 20 through 22. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, 
Let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And then on Mount Carmel, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 36 to 38. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And then verse 41 through the rest of the chapter. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and he looked and said, there's nothing. And he said, go again, seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, Behold, a little cloud, like a man's hand, is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment, and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Amen. This is God's word. And one of the amazing things that we see in these passages here is God's mercy. Mercy in despite a rebellious people. Now, God had revealed himself to Israel in times past, but in recent years, they had fallen away and they had began to serve Baal. Now, Baal, you remember, was supposedly the god of rain. He was the storm god, and Israel had relied on Baal for rain, and so God caused the rain to stop. It hadn't rained in Israel for three and a half years, not one drop. And this might not sound like mercy, But God was, in this way, exposing the foolish idolatry of the people so that they would see the error of their ways and turn to him. They might care more about rain. God cares about them not going to hell because they've been serving a false god. And this is God's mercy when God reveals to us the foolishness of our ways and destroys our idols so that we turn back to him. We would rather him just have us turn us back right away, but we need 
uh, his, his ways of going about disproving uh, our idols so that we might be humbled and come to him for mercy. Now, God has revealed the idols of the people. He has revealed the foolishness of it all. He has revealed the weakness in withholding the rain. This was painful and humiliating. It was literally devastating to Israel. Who knows how many people died uh, in, because of this. Everybody's nest egg, if they had one, is gone. In a, uh, in a culture like this where they rely on the crops, the whole nation has been devastated. But this was God's mercy. Now God shows his mercy again in a less painful way, a life-giving way. Now that Baal has been publicly and clearly defeated and shown to be not real, not even existing, God now is able to send rain. And so they, they know it's not coming from Baal. It's coming from the Lord. And so God is going to send rain upon Israel and end the drought. And everyone will know it was the Lord who provides us with what we need. And it's always been the Lord. But we ought to remember that as Israel's gathered on Mount Carmel, they are gathered mostly in rebellion against the Lord. See, for almost everyone had been following Baal. Elijah thought he was the only one left. The people had rebelled against God. The people consequently deserved God's wrath. And God sent down fire, the fire of God's wrath that utterly annihilated the sacrifice. That fire, that hellfire, I might call it, should have fallen on the people. They deserved it. They stood there having rejected God's prophet, rejected God's kings, rejected God's priests, rejected God's place of worship, and served another God altogether. When Elijah asked them, how long will you go on wavering between two opinions? Choose one. If the Lord is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. They stood there with their mouths shut. No one would stand up and speak for God. No one would say, I'm on the Lord's side. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Until God had first sacrificed, something else was for the wrath before the people repented and said, the Lord is God. So it is with you and I, brothers and sisters. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He made the way for us to also fall down and say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. We will serve the Lord. God sent this destructive fire upon the sacrifice in their place. And now he will send the life-giving rain. It was just another Old Testament picture of how Jesus would bear God's wrath. Instead of judgment, we are shown amazing grace. But our passage begins right here, right in the middle. The fire has come down, not the rain. And the rain was the whole reason why Elijah had been sent to King Ahab. Back at the beginning of chapter 18, it says, Now it came about after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, 
Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. Now that Baal has been publicly defeated, it's time for this promised rain to come. So Elijah turns to Ahab in verse 41, and he says, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the roar of a heavy shower. But Elijah, you see here, was speaking as a prophet. What exactly is he hearing? The sound of a heavy shower, the sound of of rushing of rain. He doesn't hear anything. There's not a cloud in the sky. He's, He's hearing prophetically. He's hearing the future, as it were. But based on God's promises, he knows that rain is coming. God had promised it. He didn't have rain clouds, but he had God's word. Only 10 chapters back in 1 Kings 8, God's temple had just been finished, and King Solomon prayed these words in verses 35 and 36. He said, when heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they sinned against you, if they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sins when you afflict them, Then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants and send rain on your land. So Elijah had this general instruction from God's word about what he should do. He should pray that God would forgive the people, which he has, and that God would send rain. So what does Elijah do? He's been away, remember, for three years. He's been in hiding. He's probably lonely Maybe he's seeing friends again for the first time in a while. Who knows? There's much to do in terms of instructing the people, teaching them about the error of their ways, teaching them how to serve the real God the right way, and so on. What does he do instead? He doesn't do this. He goes away alone to be with God and to pray. He goes to pray that God's promise would come true. Now, Elijah had this general instruction he also uh, to pray, but he also had God's promise to pray. And so he goes, he crouches down, I mean, promise that the rain will come. And so he goes up to Mount Carmel, and he crouches down on the earth, and doesn't say that he's praying. It says he puts his head between his knees, which I don't know, if um, your back can even handle this these days, but just getting down on your knees on, and then putting your head there in between it, it's, it's kind of difficult. But it's this humbling position that Elijah, mighty Elijah, takes. I know and we might say, what is he doing? He's praying. I know it doesn't say it here in the passage I just read, but there is more scripture that speaks about this moment. James writes in chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, he says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. So what is Elijah doing? He is praying for rain. Elijah is there, crouched down, head between his knees, doing the very thing Solomon said that he should do, praying. 
Now, I want you to consider Elijah's resume for a moment. You think about pretty, pretty crazy story with Elijah. You know, he lives out in the, in the wilderness. You know, he's, he's clothed in, in camel hair. He's a really hairy guy himself. He comes, he stands before the king in a rebellious time. He says, there won't be any more rain, but by my word. He goes, he's fed by ravens for a while. He's fed by a widow in Zarephath in the enemy's land. He is, uh, he prays for a resurrection, and it's the first resurrection in the Bible. It'll go on. He'll go down to Mount Sinai later on. God will meet with him there. He'll be fed by an angel on the way. In the end, he will go across the Jordan River, where it will open up just like it did with Joshua. He'll go across, and chariots of fire will come down, and a whirlwind will literally take him up to heaven. He doesn't even die. This is just an incredible resume. And what does James focus on about Elijah? This superhuman type figure. He says, one, that he was like us. He was a man with a nature like ours. And two, that he was a man of prayer. That's what it focuses on. Did Elijah do really any of these things? No. All those amazing things, God did them. Elijah was just like you and me. He prayed, and God did amazing things. Elijah's not amazing. God is amazing. This whole story is not so much about the accomplishments, the acts of Elijah. It's the acts of God, a God who hears and answers prayer. And so Elijah is pointed to us as a model for prayer in the book of James. That's one of the reasons why I'm focusing on this now, that we learn to pray like Elijah. Now, the first thing I want you to notice about this is that Elijah is praying for what God has already promised. So God's promises are not excuses for us to be lazy and sit around. Like, you might pray that the Lord Jesus, like, you know that the Lord Jesus is coming. He said so. And he might say, so I don't need to pray for it. It will happen at the appointed time. And that is not thinking biblically. We are called to pray that the Lord Jesus would come. We are called to pray that God's kingdom would come, that the church would grow, even though we know it's going to happen. We pray for God's sanctifying work in our lives. We pray for holiness. We, we pray, we, we need to pray to pray. We need to pray that God would make us people of prayer, that God would give us a spirit of prayer because we're like spiritual lepers, honestly, we, with very little feeling left in our body, in our spirits. If we knew the type of people we are, if we knew the wonderful privilege it is to go before the God of the universe and have his attention, we would be praying all the time. If we knew what it was like just to be in his presence, you wouldn't ask, well, if God already knows, why pray? Why should I bother spending time with the most glorious person in the universe? The answer is obvious. But our hearts are 
are very weak. We don't really realize our need. We make up excuses not to pray. Oh, God already knows. God's already promised. We just sit around and just wait. God is holy. He'll, he'll make me holy in his own time. He'll complete the good work that he began in me so I can just relax. I can just enjoy life and let God take care of it. Let go and let God. Our, our prayer, though, is, is that God would make these things happen. God answers, our, answers these promises by answering our prayer. When God wants to give us things, he usually first gives us a spirit of prayer to ask for it. So James also says, you do not have because you do not ask. Or you ask and you do not have because you ask with wrong motives that you might spend it on your pleasures. Jesus says, seek and you shall find. So we are called to pray. The prom God's promises are encouragements for us to pray, that we're praying in the right way, not encouragements, encouragements to be lazy and just wait for the rain to come. By prayer, we take hold of the promises. So when God first gives us what we need, he usually gives us prayer first so that we get his blessing by prayer. So rather than making us lazy, God's promises should be the greatest encouragements to prayer because one, we know when we pray according to God's promises that we're praying according to his will. And two, we know absolutely that we will receive what is promised. Isn't that good news? God desires your sanctification, brothers and sisters. You know it's his will. Pray for it. God desires his kingdom to, to come. God desires, he said in Psalm 2, he even tells the Lord Jesus, you are my son, today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. And I think it's wonderful, wonderfully comforting to think Jesus as an obedient son certainly obeys his father when his father tells him to pray. And Jesus, by doing this, is, of course, praying according to God's will. God will answer it. Therefore, all the nations will be the Lord, belong to the Lord Jesus. That's the way it is. But he still gets it by prayer. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. So we pray for these things. It's wonderfully comforting to know when we pray these things that we're on God's side. And that God's will is going to be done. But what if we pray for what God has promised and nothing happens? That's what happens to Elijah here. When he prayed that the child would be brought back to life, right away the child was brought back to life. When he prayed that it would rain, in contrast to the prophets of Baal who were jumping around all day long, cutting themselves, trying to cry out loud to God, to their God, to make it rain, Nothing happened. Elijah prays for less than a minute. And the, the sacrifice is obliterated. There, it was, it was good reason for God to answer the prayer right away so that everybody would know, wow, that is the real God. The Lord is God. But here, it's also good for us sometimes to see this. Elijah prays for what is promised and nothing happened. 
He prays. He prays and, and, and he says, go up and look. And he says, there's nothing. We might do this sometimes. We pray for what God has promised. And then we say, Lord, why? Why have I not gotten it yet? Why am I still struggling with the same sin I was struggling with before? Why are you so slow in making me holy? Why, when I pray for your church to grow and churches to be planted, I pray for workers to go out into the harvest and I don't see anybody going out. Why is it not happening yet? Well, sometimes God makes us wait. Just the fact that he has promised it doesn't mean that he answers it right away. The fact that you ask doesn't make it a command, even if God promised it. He answers in his good timing, in his perfect timing. Now, I might also add at this point, are we allowed to pray for things that God has not promised? Yes. We are allowed to pray for whatever, as long as it's not sinful. We, we're not supposed to pray with the wrong motives like James warns us about, but we can pray for things that God has not promised. The Lord Jesus did it. He said, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Did God take the cup from him? No. But what did Jesus also say in that prayer? He said, but not my will, but yours be done. When we pray according to the promises, we know it's God's will. We just don't know his timing in it. When we pray outside of the promises, then we pray, your will be done. But here, Lord, is the desire that's on my heart. I would love for this specific person to come to know you. Your will be done, not mine. So we can pray for things like this um, as, as long as we pray in humility, knowing it's not a request. Sometimes we, we teach our children, say please, okay? And then they say please, and you don't give it to them. And they say, but I said please, right? It, please doesn't make it a command. They're asking the right way, but it's still just a request. And God can say no when we ask, for he, he's God. So we pray according to God's will with confidence, or we pray our will, and we, let, we pray in humility and submitting to his will. Sometimes we don't even know what to pray for. Mary is an example of this. The mother of Jesus, when she comes to Jesus, remember at the first miracle at the wedding in Cana, she doesn't even know what to ask. She just says, they don't have a, any wine. She didn't say, could you please create some? If Jesus hadn't done any miracles yet, this was the first one. She just says, here's my situation, and then leaves it to God to take care of. In a similar way, Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, when he has that letter from Sennacherib, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria who had Hezekiah trapped in Jerusalem, he says, like a bird in a cage. And Hezekiah puts these threats, and he, he literally unrolls it before the Lord. And just, here's my situation, God. Deliver. We can do that. You can say, Lord, here's my life. You can talk to God 
as, and just tell him about yourself as if he doesn't know you, even though he already knows everything. Just say, Lord, here's my situation. I don't even know what to do. I leave it to you. Please help. We can pray this way. Elijah prayed also for sometimes for things God had not promised. Elijah had prayed, we read earlier, that this boy, the widow's son, would be brought back to life, and God had not promised it. When Elijah was on Mount Carmel, Elijah prayed according to promise, and his prayer was immediately answered. He even said it was in his prayer, Lord, that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. So that, that prayer on the mountain, Mount Carmel, is great instruction for us as well. Notice when he's with the widow, he says, O oh Lord, my God. When, he, when here on the mountain, he says, O oh Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. Right? So he claims these covenant promises, and he reminds everyone as well, God is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Israel. So he comes to God on the basis of these covenant promises that he has, God's relationship. He doesn't say, oh, to an unknown God, whoever you are. He says, my God, my Lord, Yahweh, the God who has revealed himself in times past, he has made us your peculiar people. Answer me, O Lord. And he prays also according to God's glory. He says that these, these people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back again. This prayer is first notable because it's so short and clear, not like the prayers of the prophets of Baal who danced around and cut themselves to gain Baal's attention. Elijah doesn't try to earn God's favor with a long, theologically correct, impressive prayer. Instead, he just appeals to who God is. God is the covenant God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His prayer is fervent, and it is earnest. It is heartfelt and sincere, but it is short. Jesus, later on in the Sermon on the Mount, would say, when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So Elijah's prayer is short. First, he addresses God earnestly and humbly. In his address, he says something of God's character and his relationship to God. The Lord is his God, the covenant-keeping God of Israel from generation to generation. Then he presents his request, which in this case is according to God's word. He says, I've done all these things at your word. And finally, he says why he is presenting his request. It is for God's glory and for the restoration of God's people. Sometimes when we come to God, we don't have clear requests. Spurgeon, uh, in teaching on prayer, says Imagine our, imagines our prayers like arrows. And we're not just shooting wildly and hoping that we get something. He's praying specifically for specific things. Pray, pray for not just God's kingdom to come. Pray for a certain person, perhaps, to come to know the Lord. 
You know, we can pray specifically. Uh, he prays for specific things that they would know that the Lord is God and that he has turned their hearts back again. This prayer is also according to for God's glory. So we, learning from this, we learn to approach God humbly, but, on the, but confidently on the basis of Christ's work. We can call God not just the God of the universe, but Heavenly Father, Righteous Father, Holy Father. That's what the Lord Jesus called him. We can also call him Father on the basis of Christ's work. We plead with him not because of our own goodness or our own work, or we, did a, we had a pretty good week serving the Lord. Therefore, please grant my request. I've always been good, Lord. Please answer this. Never like that. We pray on the basis of Christ's work, on his mercy and generosity. And so you see, to pray in God's name is not a magic phrase that you have to put at the end of the prayer. The whole spirit of prayer is permeated by Christ's name. We pray in, by, by, in Christ's name when we pray according to his will. We pray for his sake. We approach God as our Father on the basis of Christ. We pray that he would answer this on the basis of Christ's goodness and merit. We pray for forgiveness. It's all in Christ's name. So don't think of it as, in fact, I would encourage you sometimes to just not say it at the end because it's so hard not to finish that way. It's so ingrained. And because it's, it's ingrained, we, we can say it without thinking about it. Or say it at the beginning of your prayer, perhaps. Just remember that anything that you request, it must be in, God, in, in Christ's name. Don't think of it as a magic phrase or, God forbid, you're using his name in vain. So be careful how we do this. That's repetition. Even praying the Lord's Prayer over and over and over and over again can be done in a, in a bad way by using it with meaningless repetition that we don't pray sincerely. So think about how you're praying when we pray in Christ's name. And we can simply lay our requests at his feet. Um, it's helpful for our own sake to say why we're presenting our requests, but sometimes this reveals to us whether we have the right motivations behind our requests. Lord, please give me the Lamborghini that I've been wanting since I was a little boy. Yeah, because for your namesake, you can't do that, right? It, sometimes you, it reveals why you're, you're praying these things, whether our hearts are in the, the right place. And we'll often find as we pray that our requests are changed in God's presence, that God's beginning to answer our prayers. And just being in God's presence is shaping us to pray according to his glory and not just like we're approaching Santa Claus in a mall and just saying, Here's all the things I want. Please give it to me. Now, God answered this prayer immediately on Mount Carmel, and you can understand why. 
But coming back to this third prayer where he prays for rain, we see that God's answer is not immediate. Elijah's bowed down. He tells his servant to go see what he can see, look toward the sea, and there's nothing there. So his servant went and looked and said, there's nothing. And Elijah said, go back. And then go back. And I hope this poor guy didn't have to climb up the mountain the whole time. Come down. They've already had a long day. But he goes back seven times. Why seven times? Is it because that's, that's a perfect number? No, it's because at the seventh time, God answered the prayer. He prayed and prayed until he got his request. He prayed until the promised prayer came true. And that is what we are to do as well. Calvin, speaking about this passage, talks of prayer like buried treasure and promises like a, a treasure map. We all love treasure maps, right? Here's the X right here. God's promising here, if we pray for it, you'll get something. There's something here. Sanctification, holiness, growth. We dig it up by prayer. And if you dig up one shovel full of sand and you see, well, there's nothing there. You don't stop praying. You just need to keep, keep praying, keep digging until you get what's promised because it is there. And that's, that's how we are to pray. We pray when it's promised. Keep praying for it. You don't have to ask if it's your will because you know it's his will. You keep praying until we get it. Sometimes, though, God makes us wait. It's a reminder that he is God and he remains God. Sometimes God answers immediately. We might pray for wisdom. We pray for sanctification, for victory over sin. And we have to keep praying for it until we get it. As I know it's discouraging when we pray and we say, oh, Lord, how long? You're not the first one to ask that question. Keep praying. And God promises that he will give. He will seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. Elijah prays again and again seven times. He looks for God's answer. And the seventh time, he sees a small cloud like a man's hand rising up from the sea. That is not quite as impressive as the fire that God had sent from heaven, was it? But as one pastor said, God is both the God of the spectacular and the ordinary. And we should be thankful for both. Sometimes God heals people in unexpected ways, ways that we can't explain, and we thank God. Sometimes he just keeps healthy people healthy. He is to be thanked in both cases. Both are from God's grace. Both deserve our, our thanks. Now, Elijah knew that this was only the beginning of the answer of his prayer. Soon the sky would grow black with clouds, and the wind and heavy rain would come. But for now, this little cloud was enough for him to know that God had heard his prayer. So he sends word to Ahab that the storm will soon arrive. 
You can see his faith there even at the beginning of God's answer. So we pray expectantly as well. When we pray according to God's promises, you keep looking to see if God's answered it yet. And then we, we pray persistently, expectantly and persistently. Keep praying until you get it. But just the beginning of that answer, it's like the first fruits of it. He knows that there's more is coming. God will complete his work. God will fulfill his promises in his perfect timing. So we are taught here by Elijah's prayer to pray in particular with persistence and to keep exercising our faith. This waiting for God, it strengthens our faith and it prepares our hearts to receive God's blessing in the right time. Prayer is really the chief act of faith. It is the chief way that we humble ourselves before God. It is the chief way that we show that we delight in God, that we desire God. Without prayer, there is no such thing as a Christian life. Prayer is the way that we walk with God. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you, are you satisfied with your prayer life? Don't raise your hand, or if I do ask you to raise your hand, I don't expect any difference. All of us need to grow in prayer. I want to encourage you today. I'm not here to bash you over the head and say, be like Elijah. You know that you need to pray more. You long to pray more. Pray that God would give you the spirit of prayer. At least do that much. God... He stands there with his arms open wide all day long, calling us to come and call on him. Be encouraged in this and be encouraged that there is another man with a nature like ours, the Lord Jesus, and he prays perfectly. When we pray, we, we join with him as it were. We enter into the holy place and we kneel down with him and we pray according to his will. I think it was Robert Murray McShane who said, if you could hear the Lord Jesus in the next room praying for you by name, how much would it encourage you? But the distance doesn't change the fact he is praying for you. And that is good news. He is praying that you will be given wisdom. He is praying for your sanctification. Brothers and sisters, it will happen. One day, God will turn our slothful hearts around, and we will desire him, and we will seek him, and we will seek him with zeal. And we will pray all together with united hearts according to God's will. And if you long for that to happen, Start seeking it now. Seek it now by prayer. Don't say, I'm going to pray for 15 minutes. Just pray sincerely and let God take it from there. If you want a really good book on prayer, Psalms. It teaches us how to pray. How to pray. Pray the Psalms. You know, let that lead you as we pray. And be patient and be persistent you're not going to turn around tomorrow, probably. 
and be this mighty person of prayer. But even a start, even a little cloud is, is an answer. Elijah was not answered immediately, so who are we to be impatient? I will remind you that God is merciful to us. He is loving and good Heavenly Father. He knows what you need before you ask, but he still calls you to seek. He calls you to ask. He calls you to knock. And he calls you to keep on seeking, keep on asking, keep on knocking. Sometimes he makes you wait, but even that is for our good. The Heavenly Father is always good to us. He who did not spare his only son, but freely gave him for us all, how will he not with him also freely give us all things? So brothers and sisters, draw near, therefore, with confidence to the throne of grace that you might receive mercy and help in time of need. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you have given us voices that can call out to you. We thank you that you hear our prayers. We ask, Lord, that you would stir up our hearts, that we might seek you, that we might call upon you, that we, not, we might pray to you not just when nothing else works, but right away that praying to our Father and spending time with you would be our first recourse. Lord, help us to delight in you. Help us to long to be with you more than we long to be with anyone else. Work on us, Lord. Change us. Revive us. That we might worship you. That we might speak with you. That we might walk with you, Lord. Do this for us, Lord. Amen.